0: Good morning. I'm all right. How are you doing? Thanks for asking. (laughs) That'll make it up. Yeah, you have to see this real fast. Did you see these things? Ray has better socks than me and was preaching better than me this morning. (sighs) I don't even know what to do. I mean, mine are really plain this morning. I'm like, man, I got shown up by Ray? Oh, so, we, yeah, thanks. <laughs> A lot going on uh, today in the world. Do you know it is Super Bowl Sunday? Some of you really don't care, do you? <laughs> and that's okay. You know, there are things that uh, we can get wrapped up in and then uh, things that we shouldn't get wrapped up in and then things that are okay to enjoy but not get wrapped up in. Because the thing that we need to be wrapped up in is Christ. It's our faith and our love there. Another thing that's happening today, and I don't know if you heard, uh, but Phil got up this morning and uh, did not see a shadow. Groundhog Day, you know that, right? Um, So that applies, you know, if we are into this type of thing, that uh, early spring. Well, I'm going to apply it spiritually for us. If today is a bad sermon, you get to hear it again for the next six weeks, So pray that it's good so that we can move forward and not be stuck in Groundhog's Day. You ready? All right, so uh, we'll go from there. (laughs) I love to travel. I love traveling pretty much anywhere that I can. I've been, uh, I I I forgot now, I think it's about 22, 23 different countries, and I've probably been to about 43 different states, and I love it. I can't get enough of it. I would love to just, my bucket list would be to check mark off everything that I can to go and see. So I'm pretty pumped that I, uh, my wife and I were putting together a trip for this summer to go see something I have not seen yet. You know what that is? Yeah, Old Faithful. All right, I am pumped about this because I, I have not seen this. This is on my bucket list, uh, along with plenty of other things in that area. So this is exciting to me, but it got me thinking of other places that maybe you can recognize, maybe you can see. So here's a little fun, just quiz. Do you know what that one is? Grand Canyon. That one's easy. All right. What about this one? It's like, it's literally the name. It's Arches. (laughs) Arches. All right. Uh, Next one. What is this one? El Capitan. All right. Very uh, iconic mountain for sure. Uh, You won't know this one. Okay, Niagara Falls, you got it. Some of you may have to take a, a look at this one. What is it? Ah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, it's a mountain. Yes, it is. Thank you. Um, it is uh, Pikes Peak, and that's Garden of the Gods right in front of it. Uh, one, of my, one of my favorite mountains in Colorado. It's just a, a really neat area around there. I, I put all these up here, and I give this because these are kind of sites that people stop and look. Like that's the whole nature of the business of these types of sites is to get us to stop and look. If you've ever driven on the interstate coming from New Mexico, going to Denver, you cannot help but be impressed with Pikes Peak. I mean, it just stands protruding out there. It's even more so if you're coming from the plains of Colorado, coming to the mountains, all of a sudden you're just like, wow, there it is. And there are plenty other sites around this world that just beckon us to stop and look. We're continuing our series on this journey through life as we're striving to gain focus, finding purpose and direction. And whenever I think of journey, whenever I think of any kind of trip that I've been on, a sign I'm pretty sure I've passed on every one of those trips. Any type of journey that I've taken, I've passed a sign that said something to the effect of scenic overlook. Or sometimes it's, you know, now in the plains of Oklahoma, we don't have the scenic overlooks. It's all a scenic overlook, all right? But one of the things that we notice and that we see is, um, if nothing else, it's the historical markers. Um, And it's the things that beckon you to, hey, stop, take a look at this. I have to admit, most of those I just bypass. Says historical marker, says scenic cover. are like, oh, I'm sure that's lovely. And I'm going to go on because I got places to be, I got things that I need to do. How true is that of, of our lives? How many of us have been going through our lives with our head down, just trucking through it, and we have not taken the time to lift our eyes up and see what God is doing? We go through so much of our lives, whether it's because of our own business or it's because we have our own plans, that we want to do our own thing, or whatever the reason, that we just get into this rut of thinking, I need to get from point A to point B, and that is my only thing. And sometimes it takes an act of God to pull us out of the, of the craziness of our life and the uh, stuck uh, view that we have. I think Moses can relate. You know the story of Moses, right? Moses was born in very adverse times. In fact, so adverse that he should have died soon after he was born. All, he was in Egypt, and all the boys were supposed to be executed at this time because Pharaoh was scared of this huge nation that was slaves to him. Well that didn't happen because through it several acts of God's uh, divine grace Moses is put into a basket and is drifted down just you know by coincidence to where Pharaoh's daughter was There's something fun going on with my mic this morning that's going to keep you awake that's the whole plan all right but Pharaoh's daughter was there she sees Moses she has compassion on him and adopts him she ends up raising Moses in Pharaoh's household now that's going from death warrant to now being a son, or adopted son, of the king. That's huge. That's a big step. Well, one day, many years later, uh, Moses sees a, uh, he sees a fellow Hebrew, a fellow Israelite in the street, and he gets, is getting beat up by an Egyptian. So Moses decides to take the law into his own hands, and he kills the Egyptian buries him in the sand. He finds out the next day that news of this has already traveled, and now there is a price on his head. Pharaoh wants him dead, and so he flees. Moses ends up going to the land of Midian. Now, if you don't know where Midian is, it is halfway between somewhere and somewhere else. That is Midian for you. So he's in Midian, and it's there that he finds a wife. He has some kids. He settles down. He gets a job working for his father-in-law, a guy by the name of Jethro. That's where we pick up our story in Exodus 3. It says, one day Moses was tending the flock of his father in law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. Well, this is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I just want to let you know that if you end up talking to yourself in the middle of a wilderness, you are not alone. You're in good company with Moses. I do this all the time. I must go and see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground wonder how many times Moses had passed by this bush if not this bush plenty of bushes that he has passed by whenever he is leading the flock to pasture this was his job this was a normal occurrence i don't i wonder how many times he went by bushes and he never even noticed them but this one was different this one was on fire Now, that's not an extremely rare occurrence. Things like that actually happen in deserts. Things can combust and actually burn up. What's weird is that it didn't burn up. It just burned. It did not consume with fire. So Moses, I can imagine he watches this for a little bit. He catches sight of this and he stops. See, even though he has a job to do, Even though he is tending the flock and he's got a place to be, this sight, after he pulls out his camera and takes a picture of it, beckons him to look, to see. But more than that, he's curious. I don't know about you, but many of these places that I've I've been, I don't want to just see. I want to touch. And the authorities don't like it. But I want to like jump the fence and get close to it because to me, it's not just about seeing it. I want to I be there. In the arches, I, I don't want to just see it from a distance. I want to stand in that arch. I want to walk through it. I don't know if there's any significance to doing that, but I just think it's neat. I don't want to just see Pike's Peak. I want to be on the top of it. I don't want to just go to some of these places. I want to be in the middle of it because these things beckon us to not just Oh, look and then pass by. These things beckon us to look and then get involved. Be a part of this. So Moses draws near to this bush that's engulfed and the Lord speaks to him from the middle of the bush. And Moses' life is forever changed because he stopped and looked at what God was doing. Now, he was a little reluctant for his new task that God would give him, of course. We know the rest of the story that he tries to kind of argue with God, saying, hey, don't send me, someone else, find someone else that can do this. God says, look, you stopped and looked. You're my man. I have called you to lead my people out of Egypt. So finally, Moses decides to do that. And a few months afterward, he is now back at the mountain, at the foot of the mountain where he saw God's presence in this burning bush. This time, though, he is surrounded by the nation of Israel. His task that God sent him on was successful, and in fact, God said, you will go and bring them back to this very spot, and that's what Moses does. He brings them back to the foot of the mountain, and it is there that something spectacular is going to happen again. It is there that he beckons all of Israel to stop and look for God once more. And he shows up. Exodus 19, starting verse 9 and then jump to 16, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak with you. Then they will always trust you. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed and the dense cloud came down upon the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord has descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed in the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. If you're not getting a picture of a volcano, what's happening, then you're not reading this clearly. And all the people came to it. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God thundered his reply. I love that visual image there. The Lord came down on top of the Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of it. So Moses climbed the mountain. God showed up. First time on this mountain, just in a bush a flame. Now, God says, all right, you got a whole nation of Israel, watch this. I'm going to put the whole mountain on flame yet it's not going to consume. And in fact, so much so, I, it won't consume, I'm going to ask you to come join me up here. Talk about some steps of faith. Were you asked to walk into the fire? God shows up and says, hey, to the people, stop and look. See what I am doing. Obviously, this terrified the people, no doubt, but what they receive in this moment is huge. Not just a visual image of God in his presence, but they received the law. They received the Ten Commandments at this special place that there was God's presence. It was clear, God is here. And in fact, this mountain will continue to be an image and a place for the nation of Israel. Elijah would even come back to this mountain to see God here, or to experience his presence Soon after this, uh, the nation of Israel builds the tabernacle. And at this point, the tabernacle is now, the smoke that is on Mount Sinai is lifted and put in the tabernacle. God's presence is there. So whenever they move about on their travels and their journeys, God's presence goes with them, goes before them, is there. And it's something they stop and look. And if they didn't, everyone else sure did. Now later on, whenever the Israelites... conquer the land of Canaan. And then they come to a place where they establish the government around a king. They finally get to the point, King Solomon, actually his father before him, King David, wanted to build a temple, a permanent residence for God who dwells at the mercy seat, or at least uh, is the presence that they look at from the tabernacle, build him a temple, a permanent residence. So Solomon is a choice that gets to build this place. After years of prep and planning and after building, they finally move all of the articles from the tabernacle into the temple. And that's where we get, again see this from 1 Kings now verse uh, chapter 8. When the priests came out of the holy place of the temple, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not conform, uh, continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord God's presence was now in the temple Solomon goes on to dedicate this temple saying look this is a significant event to summarize a little bit of what Solomon says this is huge guys God is here he is living among us anyone who looks at or prays to this temple may God will you hear them because they are turning they are stopping and looking to you And he goes on with all of this understanding and all all of these ideas that God is doing amazing things. We can see it right here. This temple would beckon people to stop and look. And it works for a time. But like anything, we know how, how life happens. A new building goes up And we're like, whenever it's being built, whoa, everyone wants to stop and look at all the things that are happening. Give it about two years and people won't even notice that building anymore. Maybe less than. We're on to the new thing that excites, the new thing that encourages us to stop and look. And the same is true for the Israelites. The Israelites forgot that God had come to this temple. His presence was filling this place. And they got used to it. Or maybe they just didn't care. They came to a place of complacency where they weren't seeing what God was truly doing, and so God had a lesson for them. He sent them in captivity. He allowed the place of His presence, so they thought, to be destroyed. Some of them got the lessons and uh, the lesson and the significance of what was happening. Others did not. You see that the temple would later be rebuilt, and it was a day of mixed mixed emotions. It wasn't quite as nice as Solomon's temple, but at least God's place is built again. But then that one would be problematic, and they'd have to rebuild again because there's something significant about this place. Now, this became an ongoing theme, so much so that in the time of Jesus, the temple is being rebuilt again, It's being rebuilt again, and there's a lot of mixed emotions going on in this time, too. Because in some ways, man, this is a great thing to have the temple rebuilt again, but the problem is that it's being paid for by the oppressive government. So what are we going to do? Are we going to go with this idea of, woo, this is wonderful, or are we just going to lament the idea of why it's getting built? But mixed up in all of this, Jesus shows up at the temple with his disciples, And in Mark 13, it says this, as he was leaving the temple that day, one of his disciples said, hey, teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at the impressive stones in the walls. He's saying, wow, look at this temple. It's being rebuilt for God's glory. Maybe, you can almost hear it in the back of his mind, maybe we'll be able to see God like we once did. And then all nations will stop and look. Verse 2, Jesus replied, yes, look at the great, these great buildings. But they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. The disciples, I'm sure we're a little confused about this, In fact, going on in the story, they come to Jesus and say, okay, explain to us what this means. Tell us when this is going to happen. What's going on here, Lord? But the point should be pretty clear. See, so often the temple had been used as the place to stop and look for God's presence. But in the midst of that, they, the disciples, got wrapped up into looking at the stones. They got wrapped up in seeing the thing, and not the thing that makes it beautiful. See, the only reason the temple had any significance was because God's presence was there. Otherwise, it was just a building. How many times do we do the same thing? See, the disciples had missed the significance of what was going on. They almost missed the whole point of the temple, why it was there. But even more importantly, they almost missed God, who is standing right there with them. They got so focused on the stones of this structure that they forgot that Jesus himself was standing with them. And we do the same thing, don't we? We get caught up in the stones of this life. We get caught up in the beautiful things that people tell us to look at. And we miss God. How many people have gone to the mountains to marvel at its wonder? And have never acknowledged God in the presence. They try to ride it up to some sort of uh, feats of nature and, and, and a long list of erosion that creates things. Here's the deal. I don't want to get into an argument about how long it took for the Grand Canyon to arrive. Here's the thing that I'm really concerned about. Did God do it or did he not? Because if, if we understand God did this, then when we look at the magnificent view, it should put us in awe of our Creator. When we go to the mountains, when we go to the sacred places, whenever the Jews saw the temple, it should put them in awe of God. When we go to the oceans and we see the mighty waves crashing upon the beach, it should put us in awe of God all of these things are beckoning us to stop and see God. Because He's everywhere to be found. He's in some of the most magnificent views that you would ever see. And He's also in some of those that not very many people will ever see. Because God is a God that beckons us through many sights, through many ways, to come and see Him. So often our focus is only on getting from point A to point B. So often our focus is going to miss the things that God wants us to see. If Moses would have just been going through his normal day with his focus like he usually had, putting his head down for his job, he would have missed what God was doing. How many of us are in the same boat? How many of us are simply going from point A to point B? How many of us are just putting our head down, going, working, putting our nose to the grindstone and not looking up at what God is doing? God is always doing something. And God, through his doing, the things that he's doing, he is beckoning us to say, hey, look, I am here. I don't know where it is that you see God, but I'm fully convinced that there is a place for every one of us that God is saying, check it out. I'm right here question is, are we just going to wave at it and say, oh, I'm sure that looks nice, that scenic overlook, or are we going to stop and look and then move toward God? We have our own plans. We have our own paths that we want to follow. So often, I believe God throws that burning bush in our way. So the question is, are you going to actually look? Are you going to take the time to lift your eyes and see, all right, is God actually down this path or is God down this path? Where is God at? Because where he is, I want to be there too. Wherever that might be. So as we continue on our journey of following God, we have to keep our eyes up looking for where he is next. Because God goes before us And he beckons us to come to him. So wherever God is, let's shoot for that. Let's follow him. Because God still beckons us to be in his presence. So this morning, I just want to encourage you very simply. Stop and look. The busyness of your life is probably running rampant. Even if you have put off, you know, you have got into retirement, I have learned from so many of you who are retired that you are not, well, you are still tired. You have lots of stuff that is still going on, and you can get wrapped up into the busyness just like the rest of us chasing kids and our careers and all the things that we do. Stop and look. Where's God leading you? You're not going to follow unless you see him. Make that commitment. If you need help with that commitment, if you want to know more of what that looks like, we would love to talk to you. We would love to have more conversations about baptism, about daily walk with him, about keeping your eye upon him. Would you allow us to have those conversations? If you're in need of those, would you let them be known? Come as we stand and as we sing.